Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Revelation chapter 20, and this will be the first of two parts. And the last time we talked about the second coming and kind of cool, um, you know, I grew up in a denomination where I, I never really heard a lot of this stuff. I never read the Bible. And then when I gave my life to the Lord and started getting serious about my faith and reading the Bible, I'm like, wow, for decades, I missed out on some pretty amazing truths that God shares with us. And there's a lot of reasons why I believe God gives prophecy. One is to prove he is who he is. As I said in my prayer, uh, there's epidemiology. I believe in Luke, uh, excuse me, Leviticus 14. Uh, we read about satellite technology. We read about a lot of things in the scripture that most people say, really, that's in there? Yeah, it absolutely is in there. So God calls his creation. He made us with a brain and the ability to reason and function. And in Isaiah, he says, come, let us reason together. So even when his people are disobedient, he tries to have like a parental discussion with us. And that's a pretty awesome thing when you look at it. Jesus was the personification, right? He was the Lagos, the word of God, fully God, fully man. And he um, just watching him in action, even on the letters on a page, even though we weren't there, it just is so inspiring. So last Sunday, we talked about the second coming, right? Jesus said he's going to return. Um, everything that Jesus says, we have to take seriously. We have to take literally. We talked about the difference between the first coming, what that was to accomplish, the second coming, and somewhere in between, more towards the second coming, is the, the rapture or the harpazo. And what does that mean? This morning, we're going to talk about the millennial kingdom. So, you know, and you might have a, a intellectual, I mean, I had a lot of these questions, uh, being sort of a new believer, uh, being educated in the sciences. It took me a while to, you know, really start to go pour through all the scripture and then really fact check it and find out this is the truth. This is amazing. This is incredible stuff. But, you know, we, we look at this world, we look at ancient civilizations, we look at things overseas. Um, if you study history like I do, it's amazing. The rise and fall of empires and such. And you, you almost ask yourself, well, when does this end or does it end? Or does this keep going on in perpetuity? Well, based on the design of our solar system, it can't go on in perpetuity. At some point, it's going to start to fail. And we talked about that a few Sundays. So um, when you look in the New Testament and the Old Testament, God tells us that he's going to establish his kingdom, uh, Daniel 2, that's going to last for all eternity. All right? So these things are a fact. We, we find them. And um, we're going to cover the millennial kingdom today, and we're going to look at this in four parts. And if you are reading your scripture and you are in prayer, you know, Christians look out at not just our culture. America is such a small part of the world. There's such a huge population out there. You know, God loves the whole world, right? Um, we, we almost sense as we see the things that are happening, it's almost like an, like an undercurrent, you know, when you're on the beach and... And you go in the water and, and all of a sudden the, you start to get pulled over or pulled in a different direction. And it's, it's, it's not always palpable, but it's, it's, it's this force that kind of takes over. And, and we look at our world and we realize we're not going in the right direction. Humanity's not going in the right direction. So what does this all mean? Well, we're going to see that, um, that the Lord has the answers to all of these things. So I'm going to read a few verses because there's so much in here that I don't want to rush it. 
So starting with verse 1, now remember, this is metatauta, the the Greek phrase of, of chronology. You know, John says, then I saw, then I saw. He's telling us that these, these things happen in a chronological order. So, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. He's got a lot of names. And bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more until... The thousand years were finished, but after these things, he must be released for a little while. And then I saw thrones and they that sat on them and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been headed for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. Just so you know, uh, I follow overseas news because we get what the media wants to show us in this world, in this country. But um, it's it's been a regular basis. I'm not saying it happens every day that some Christians are beheaded literally for their faith. Um, believe it or not, if you actually do your research, there's been a few beheadings in the United States, but that's kind of, it's kind of suppressed. We don't want to talk about that. So, um, you know, when you, when I read the, the scriptures, some maybe 25, 30 years ago, beheadings, that's like so archaic. Well, I hate to say it, it's making a comeback, but again, you'd have to follow overseas news. You'd have to see the faithful that have lost their lives for just for being Christians. Fascinating. They had not worshipped the beast or his image. Remember this antichrist or this charismatic globalist. And we're kind of going heavily into this globalist movement. Or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead, there's a separation, there's a dichotomy here, did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So there's a first resurrection of the righteous from the from Genesis all the way to whenever the Lord kind of stops the clock. And then there's a second resurre- resurrection of the unrighteous, those who have rebelled against God, and uh, they have a judgment, and we're going to talk about that next Sunday. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ. What does that mean? And shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. So I'm going to do talk more about that next Sunday. So one out of four is the introduction to the millennium. I think it's millennium, or the millennial kingdom, or the literal thousand years of Christ's reign in the future. Well, however you want to look at it, it's the same thing. It just goes by different names. Now, this phrase millennial kingdom or the thousand years scratch that thousand years this phrase has, is used five times in this chapter alone and i'm going somewhere with this it's associated with chronology we talked about that so it's literal now so we believe and it's just so incredible when you look at the i came to this conclusion while studying the, the thousand year reign of christ which hasn't happened yet, that there's actually more detailed and graphic information in the Old Testament than the New Testament. It's really powerful. Isaiah 14, which we covered two years ago when I did Isaiah, you know, just the animal kingdom and how uh, things just kind of calm down. And, excuse me, Isaiah 11. I had the wrong sticky here. Uh, Isaiah 11, you know, and, and you read about this, and this has never happened. This is a wholesale thing. I've watched enough of those animal shows to know that there's prey, and they run, 
And there's predators and they pounce, right? This is the animal kingdom. However, we read about the, uh, the wolf dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion, the young lion, and the fatling together. And there's almost a whole chapter dedicated to this. So it's beautiful, it's powerful, it's a glorious time. The Lord Jesus is ruling from Jerusalem. Not too hard to understand. When he came, he centered his ministry around Jerusalem as the, uh, as the epicenter or the focal point, And then it spread out from there. So we'll see what, when his second return comes, we'll see very similar things. Now, I have to go into doctrines that I believe, that, that I learned young, right, in a denomination that don't really line up with what the scripture says. So let me go through a few of them. What, do the, what is the belief system out there? And what do we believe? So amillennialism, this was, there's a man named Tychonius in the late fourth, fourth century, long after the Bible was put together, uh, agreed upon, etc. all the different um, checkpoints it had to go through. So late fourth century, Tychonius says, there's no literal millennium. There's no literal a thousand years. We are in it now. And some of these doctrines morph over time. People say, well, I, I don't really believe everything Tychonius said, but let me add this to it. So I'm going to throw you a few generalities here, and then we'll talk about what we believe. So we're in the millennial, uh, millennium now, the thousand years. It's a spiritual reign of Jesus. One question I have is, what part of the thousand years are we in? <laughs> Was it 1,000 to 2,000? Was it 1,500 to 2,500? Nobody seems to have an answer for that. Here's another problem. If Satan is bound now... He has an awfully long chain. <laughs> and all you need to do is go home and turn on the news and see how horrible the world is. Realize it's in a sinful state. And you would come to the conclusion if Jesus is reigning now, he's doing a very inefficient job. And I don't say that to be blasphemous. I'm trying to get people to think when they follow some of these um, doctrines. In addition, verse 5 tells us of resurrections. Wholesale resurrections. Well, when did these resurrections take place? Did they take place in 2020, 2021, 2000? Anybody see resurrected, glorified bodies running around? And I don't mean gym bodies. I mean 1 Corinthians 15. Forget about Peloton and the gym. I'm talking about glorified as you read 1 Corinthians 15. This is a powerful, very large chapter where literally the... This is a Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration type of change that we're talking about. It's not something that you can just look at every day and say, oh, that person's, you, you haven't seen it yet. So these are the problems with this type of uh, doctrine. There's another one called post-millennialism. The thousand years takes place only after the church changes the world. Well, do you see things getting better? <laughs> if that's the case, we're doing a pretty awful job. <laughs> the world's getting worse, not better, okay? Right. Amen. So... <laughs> And she's little, <laughs> but you kind of see this wholesale uh, thing going on. You, I talk about this aggregately. Um, so just, I'm just going to touch on this too, and then we'll go, go into what we believe. What does the Bible say? Uh, post-millennialism comes with, so, and again, the, the thousand years takes place. Jesus can't come back until the church changes the world. Now, this is found in dominionism. It's a theology, not the voting system. Uh, it's in kingdom now theology, which some of you might be familiar with, and Christian reconstruction. Here's the, the problem. It gives the church more power than Christ. Poor Jesus is waiting to come down, and we've got to change the world. 
before he can find it palatable to step foot on this planet. Problematic, problematic. What we believe is what's called premillennialism, if you were wondering. <laughs> Some of you are like, what is he talking about? Uh, premillennialism says that this, the thousand years take place as the Bible said it would in this chapter and in the Old Testament. Jesus returns and he ushers in the millennium. He ushers in the thousand years. Now, if I can interject my uh, conjecture in this, most likely when the Lord Jesus comes back, he deposes kings, presidents, governors, mayors. They're all out. He puts his own people in. He probably puts the redeemed in. And as I said, affectionately, if I say it enough times, it's kind of my little joke, but you know, I'm a homebody. I've never, I don't even have a passport. I've never left the United States, but I see pictures of the Mediterranean and the weather looks beautiful, the ocean, the food. I just was hoping that the Lord kind of put me in a little place in the Mediterranean, but that's just my wish. I don't know that that's going to happen. All right. So we'll move on. Satan at this point, as we read, he's bound, right? He's bound and the earth rests from war calamities and the sin that's plagued. It doesn't mean that people won't sin anymore, but the remember in, in Matthew four, Satan offered Jesus not to go to the cross and give him the kings, kingdoms of the world, which he pretty much controlled as Adam and Eve or more Adam. He forfeited it through his fault. Um, sin has taken over the world and we see it every day. Um, again, Isaiah study much about the millennial reign of Christ in multiple places and Daniel chapter two. So when I teach, I bring everything together you know, you, you have to make this case. You have to pull from all 66 books because God, God is not confused or erratic in his thinking. You can find his truths when you read the whole Bible together. Now, some people, and I'm just going to touch on this as well, some come from a denomination where, as I did, where the rapture, the return of Christ, the second coming is really not taught. But when Jesus spent his time with the disciples, right, and I read you the scripture, he spoke just as much of his second coming as his dying on the cross. Right? Dying on the cross, redeem us uh, spiritually so that we could have ever, everlasting life. That was most important to God. The second time he comes is to finish the redemption process in the physical creation, to take it back. Okay? In addition, if, you know, again, for some who are, and again, I, I, so what's the method to Pastor Joe's madness? Why are you teaching us like we are skeptics? Because a lot of skeptics watch. Um, our audience has exploded and um, I am connecting with people from my past. And um, I am amazed that when I talk to, and I don't fault them, some of the young generation the simple things of Christianity, they don't know because they weren't taught. So uh, we have a very challenging time in 2021 as Christians. People have a lot of questions. Some of them are pejorative. Some of them are, are to test us. Some of them are, are just inquisitive. And we need to be able to respond to that. This is a teaching church. So this is why we do what we do. And some Christians come to me and like, well, that was refreshing. I didn't know. I sort of believed this idea of the millennium and, and we were really aligned with what the pastors teach here, but um, I didn't know the detail to it. So it's, I find that my, my teaching is more challenging than it was 20 years ago. In addition, right in the Lord's prayer. So you could be from a nominal church where not much is taught, and right in the Lord's Prayer, which people have memorized, 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what does that mean? (laughs) It means it hasn't happened yet, obviously, but it's going to happen. So even the things that Jesus taught his disciples and by extension has taught us, um, it's right there. He's going to return and he's going to make his will done on earth as it is in heaven. We either believe what the Lord says or we don't. Sometimes we can memorize prayers and scriptures and repeat it rotely so many times that it loses its meaning. Jesus was against that too, by the way. Don't use vain repetitions like the heathen do. Don't do that to God. Talk to him. Give him your heart. You know, he's made you so that you can interact with him. Okay, one last point about this, and then I'm going to go to point two, is why does the millennial kingdom, why is it even in here? Why does it even take place? So before I do that, the first thing that I want to look at is how God views time versus how we view time. To us, if you're really anticipating a really good meal, five minutes is an eternity to us, right? We're human beings. We don't have much of a lifespan. It's really not that long. However, the Bible tells us in the Old and the New Testament, whether you're talking about Psalm 90 verse 4 or 2 Peter 3 verse 8, that to the Lord, a thousand years is as a day. Lord, it's been so long. You know, we're waiting. And he's like, I just see, I see it all. God is eternal. So to him, a thousand years is as a day. If you take that rendering and you look at 6,000 years of biblical history, if a thousand years, you know, uh, is as a day, then six days have passed. And we're getting really close to the seventh day, the thousand year millennial kingdom, which would be the day of rest. So we kind of go back to what Genesis talks about. Um, and again, there's a lot of confusion, even with the Jehovah Witnesses. They, if you sit with them, and I've sat with them and talked to them, um, they have a, a flawed rendering of the millennial kingdom. Um, it doesn't end, you know, just like the amillennialists and the postmillennialists. And, you know, only some people can get into heaven and the rest. It's like a number system. It's like you, you got this, these tickets. And if you're 144,001 the door shut on you. You have to stay down here. And you know what that does? I personally hate the class system and I hate caste systems because that's not how God works. Mankind does it to other people. You're just a worker. You're just down there. We're the elite. And it's a really twisted thinking. It's almost a self-deification. When we get to heaven, there is that. There's not, there's no differentiation by race. There's no differentiation by gender, by class, by you're the working class, you're the elite, you're the governed. It's garbage. That goes out the window. So to me, whenever there's a doctrine that puts us back into a class system, I bristle. And I, and I try to show why that doctrine is not true. I love God. He is a fair God. He's not going to treat any of us less than somebody else or more than. Some of you might have come from situations in your family or where you've come from, where you were always held down. God is the ultimate God of justice. If it doesn't happen here, it's going to happen there. So I just want to throw that in there. Two out of two is why does the millennial kingdom take place? A, because it was prophesied. (laughs) And everything God says he's going to do, he does. Um, Some of the scriptures that aren't fulfilled will be fulfilled. And you can see, you turn on the news, it's happening. It's getting close. So A, it's prophesied. B, I went back to the seventh-day model, and I'm hitting this from aggregately from a lot of different angles, multifaceted. C, this is an intermediate stage to perfection. As Listen, 
wherever you are in this study, get, get every sermon, even if you're not here, because you're going to see this transition into a perfect state again, sort of like it was in Genesis, but, but different. Um, so this is where we're in a sinful state. The millennial kingdom will be an intermediate, intermediate stage to perfection. The new heaven and new earth are coming. D, it's to show the world the contrast between sin, death, and a world ruled by unrighteousness versus a world ruled by righteousness through Christ. Um, and and you, if you turn on the TV at any point in time, you'll see that the left and the right politically are trying to create their own utopia in this country. And both have failed and will fail miserably because there is no such thing as a political utopia. Just look at Cuba. Just look at China. Just look at some of these places. And, you know, we're for the people. Right. And you hear all these slogans for the worker and it never turns out that way. It's always the elites locking everything down. And them starting all over again, and nobody's ever really truly free. So you can't have your utopia run by sinful people. Jesus is going to, when he runs it, it's truly going to be a utopia, not a dystopia. So continuing on, um, there's also religious utopias. Oh, yes. And I know I have friends from college who are watching, and they throw this at me, and I say to them, you're right. And they're like, wow, you said that without hesitation. I'm like any church that tries to, you know, kind of almost goes back to the post-millennialists and the kingdom now um, theology. Any church or organization of Christ that tries to amass wealth and power totally misses the point of what Jesus is saying. They've totally broken ranks. They can say that they're Christian all they want, but they are not behaving as, as Christian because that's not what Jesus said. Right? His kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my servants would fight. But he willingly went to the cross. But he's going to do it all, make light work of it in the second coming. We don't need to try to make a religious utopia. It always fails. You know, I, I, if I'm watching TV, there's a lot more ads from these lawyers. And you've seen them. Now you're shaking your head. You know where I'm going with this whether the Catholic Church or the Baptist Church or the Jehovah Witnesses or the Mormons, I see it all the time. If you've been a victim of molestation, that's horrible. Even um, some of these groups, these, you know, they live off the land in Pennsylvania and they're completely cloistered. First of all, Jesus said, don't do that. I want you to be a light to the world and salt. Don't just hang out in a little place and ignore the rest of the world. And then you see the investigations of abuse and stuff. So there's no such thing as a religious utopia, and there's no such thing as a political utopia. The only utopia that's truly utopian, and I'm using that word a million times, is when Jesus comes back, because he will rule. Can I tell you something? If you put me as the king of the world, it might go to my head. I think I'm a pretty balanced guy. Some, You know, you guys, we have a few hundred watchers on the um, live stream, but I wouldn't want that position, because... Bible tells me that my heart is also corrupted by sin and wickedness. You know, when you have the Holy Spirit, you, you've got a better chance of living in the spirit and, and pushing away the flesh. But no man or woman can have that much power without it going to their head. Thankfully, God himself will come and rule. So there's a lot of, a lot of angles to this. You know, I'm trying to hit it from a lot of different directions. E, watch the... And, and here's another thing, folks. And I hear people say this, you know, when I get to stand in front of God, I'm going to, like they wag their finger, I'm going to tell God a few things. 
And my thing is, you better do a little research before that's your defense, because it's not going to work, okay? God is showing us a few things. How many different times can he show us that sin is destructive, that man and women's self-rule is destructive? So you go from, watch the transition to different um, phases. Perfection in creation. Sin enters the world, right? So it ruins everything. And we've been living with that for thousands of years. The millennial kingdom sort of is a pause from that sinful influence and a a move towards getting back to uh, perfection, right? However, he allows Satan to come out one more time. So sin comes back and there's a rebellion, And most of you are saying, why would God allow? You'll have to wait till next Sunday for that one. It's good stuff. (laughs) Okay. And then Satan is finally thrown into the lake of fire where the false prophet, the Antichrist, and, you know, all those people are. Um, And we go back to perfection where God makes a new heaven, a new, new, new earth. And I read this at funerals a lot. There'll be no more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow. That God will personally wipe away every tear from the eyes. He will dwell with his people. It'll be just a new time. How exciting would that be? Right? And I'm just going to add to that. um, Because if you take that in its totality, there'll be no more depression. There'll be no more abuse. There'll be no more uh, suffering. There'll be... That stuff just... It's gone. It's gone. In his kingdom, these things don't exist. Okay. F. (laughs) So I'm running out of letters here. Is that... um, Well, let's just go to... Prosperity in the perfect environment without God permeating our lives leads to decline. And I would say that the United States, I was a cop for 25 years. I defended the Constitution. I'm very patriotic. But what my belief in what the Bible says has to supersede the American dream and what I believe about this country. I thank God that I was born here because I see the suffering in other countries. However, haven't we thrown enough money at enough problems and nothing seems to get better? And people think this, a perfect environment. If I could only, if I could only have, listen, I've seen wealthy families whose kids got into addictions. I've seen wealthy families who got divorced. I've seen wealthy families who had sorrow and suicide. So what I'm trying to tell you is this, it's a lie that's permeated out there. That if we just throw money at the problem, remember the war on poverty? Where are we today? Did the numbers ever change? I mean, we're, we're printing money like crazy. We're sending it everywhere. Trillions of dollars. Do, 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 you know, It's amazing. Somebody did a calculation. It said the dollar bills could almost like reach the moon and back or something like that. Uh, the war on poverty. The war on cancer. Where are we with that? Right? The war on drugs. Where are we with that? Have we really gone anywhere? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't help people. Absolutely. Especially people who are are despondent and destitute. But throwing money at a problem without God does absolutely nothing. And government, a work for government, is inherently inefficient. As you go higher up the food chain, it becomes more inefficient. It gets less personal, too. It's not personal. There's no message of salvation. There's no message of hope. There's no message of that you can be victorious through Jesus Christ, no matter what your circumstances are. But the secular humanist world, including that what's taking over the United States, just sees everything as dollars and cents. Throw money at it. Throw money at it. Do a study on some of these things where they're throwing money at. Then, then the money disappears, right? That's another issue with government. The pool gets big enough. Where'd that money go? Oh, this missing... Uh, so, so many million from this fund and that fund. 
So I can't wait until the Lord comes and just gets rid of all of our politicians and both parties, and he just rules from Jerusalem. Amen? So three out of four is Satan is bound during the millennium. Um, he's an extremely powerful, well, he's extremely powerful, but here's this thing. This unnamed angel is given the authority to bind Satan, the devil, right? That's a little curious when we look at that. Well, I thought he was the most powerful and maybe this is a police officer angel, <laughs> you know, put your hands behind your back. You're under arrest. Where'd that come from? Um, so, but anyway, I don't know, maybe he's a police officer angel, but, uh, Satan is not, people think this, he's not equal to God, right? When I was on the bridge on the radio station, uh, two weeks ago, we actually, me and Dr. Falzerano started like, it was cool. The questions were coming in and we were debating some of the questions that were coming in from the callers of how strong is Satan? He's strong, but he's nowhere near God's or Jesus, Right. Even when Jesus was on the earth, he could only do so much, and Jesus uh, was able to overpower him, right? So, you know, he, Satan either causes us to overestimate him, hence these horror movies where evil seems to be so much stronger than good, or he gets us to underestimate him. And I've seen churches and clergy people do their, it's like a thing, and they, they taunt, oh, devil, come on, I'm going to get you. You ever hear stuff like that? I'm like, man, that's weird. You guys do that? I'm going to be over here because I don't feel like being a target. You can call out Satan all day long. Oh, he's going to be paying attention to you. I'm going to be over here. You know, I, if I'm in trouble, I call out to Christ, you know, because he's my covering. So there's a, an overestimation and an underestimation. And we under, when we underestimate him, we read a verse like this, and we're curious about how this unnamed angel is able to bind him. But he does. Um, if I could turn with you, if you would turn with me to Isaiah 14, verse 16, you see, and this happens a lot in the prophetic books. The prophet, through the inspiration of God, starts to talk about maybe a worldly leader, and then he moves into the forces that empower these worldly leaders. And there's worldly leaders today that are empowered by the dark side. You know, they're just, it's just all about power to them. So in verse 16, there's this idea of the world at this time in the future that there, it's even saints are going to see uh, those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, and the word man can be used interchangeable. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? Who had that much power? Satan. Okay, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners or would not release them. The strong man that, that the Lord Jesus has to bind in order to plunder his goods. Right. You see all these different scriptures coming into play. So um, Jude 1 6, um, it speaks about these demonic forces that are uh, in chains of darkness in, in Tartarus that are reserved for the day of judgment. So as we speak, there are certain demonic forces that, you know, in, in the book of Job, uh, the Lord gave Satan certain parameters and told him, don't step over that, those parameters. However, when we read Jude 1, 6, we see these demonic beings that seem to not keep their habitation, as the scripture says. And the Lord had to judge them and put them in this place of incarceration. They're probably there as we speak. They have no freedom because they don't play by the rules. 
So God puts them in a pen. He, he incarcerates them. It just is what it is. Um, there's a whole branch of sort of Christianity. It's called demonology. And I don't get too much deep into it because it's kind of weird, but um, where people just spend all their time writing books and studying about demons and possession and stuff like that. Uh, but it's, it's a fascinating world when the Bible gives us a, an insight into that demonic world. And trust me, I've dealt with people in my life and in my career that there definitely was a demonic inspiration there. Human beings don't, don't act like that. They don't do that. Um, so we talked about the abyss, the bottomless pit, Revelation 9. Here in verse 1, this chain or this binding instrument is for the spiritual realm. So Satan, for a thousand years, loses his ability to uh, be a general, an archangel to his demons, and also to affect people directly. Now, just cover the names of Satan really quick because he has a bunch of different names. Remember, he was Lucifer, light bearer. He was good at some point, and then his pride overtook him, and he had to be uh, banished. And you know the story from there. But let's look at some of his—I'll go through these quickly—names that they speak about. The dragon. In, in that characteristic, he's all out fierce. He's vicious. You know, he stops at nothing to get what he wants. Um, there's no, no rules except for the boundaries that the Lord gives him. B, he's the serpent. He's the sly deceiver. He's intelligent. In the garden, he used intelligent. He used debate. He used um, uh, reasoning in, a, in an evil way to get the first federal head parents to, to fall into sin. Uh, so just because someone is educated, you know, I went to a good school, graduated four years. Um, it doesn't make you a better person. It doesn't even make you smart. Um, it's just education. And it's good to have it. I'm not against it. But some will use that as a manipulation tactic. So serpent, devil, uh, traducer, he attacks the reputation of another, maliciously gossiping them. And Satan, the accuser, we see this with Job. One, one characteristic that's very important that is spoken about in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, I refer to a lot, is that Satan masks, masquerades himself as an angel of light. So if he came to people the way he looks or the way he behaves, nobody would follow him. But he does it through cunning, sly, um, and I've heard people who are deceived, and they, um, they follow some of these doctrines that are bizarre. But the way it's presented is in a good way. You know, uh, Isaiah 520, they will call good evil and evil good. I think we're in that time in America. And, um, you know, he, he says that he comes as an angel of light and he makes those that he controls in a religious realm. Right. Remember, I talked about the bad things that happen in some churches in some areas. When you think about when you literally think about what some of these organizations what happens to children who are most vulnerable, that person is not a man of God. That is a person who's been deceived by the angel of light and they become um, ministers of, of righteousness in the world's eyes, but they're doing really bad things when nobody's looking. And you know what Jesus said? Woe to that person. It's better that a millstone would be hung around his neck and thrown into the sea than to face the Lord in judgment after hurting the innocent. And people say, oh, that person died. They never got justice. Oh, ho, 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 ho. they're going to get justice. That's the beautiful thing about God. Nobody escapes that. And Jesus died for our sins so that we would get justice too because we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we've trusted in his sacrifice for our sins and it changes us. 
All right, so we're forgiven, and we're going to talk about that next Sunday. Okay. Um, a lot of deception going on today, especially when we watch the, the, what the world says and where the world is going and how they, they change things to make it look palatable and make it look good. Four through six, uh, verse, or four out of four, excuse me. The last point is the saints reign during the millennium. So verse four, he speaks about those that he sees sitting on thrones judging. Um, we looked at Revelation four when we covered it, the 24 elders. We looked at those that represented the old and the new Testament. Could it be a company of saints? Could it, could there be angels? We don't really know. Some things in Revelation are, when we get there, we'll see. It'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember reading this. It'll be probably really cool. But um, one thing I want to refer you to is 1 Corinthians 6, 3. And sometimes, you know, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, the Bible writers say things. And you say to yourself, wow, uh, you could miss that one if you read it too quickly. What does that mean? So the Apostle Paul is trying to deal with a church that's really having a lot of struggles in Corinth in the first century. And he's really rebuking them, saying, you know, as, as Christians, you guys should be able to settle matters in the church. But you're all going to the heathen courts where these people are not godly people. Shame on you, pretty much, um, to, to use a paraphrase. Verse 3, he says, do you not know that we, meaning the saints, shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Christians act your maturity level spiritually. When we get to, to heaven, the Lord is going to have major responsibilities for us. And you guys can't even judge this person ripped me off for $50 or that person looked at me, you know, f figure it out. And some churches are broken because they act in that manner. But, you know, if we are really praying people and we use the scripture, we should be able to solve problems in the church and in the community. So... All the tribulation saints, he speaks about those as we get into these last few verses. Uh, that, that He says that they were beheaded, which I covered. But God makes them whole again. Right? He makes them whole again. Doesn't matter. Cremation, people, there's a lot of debate about cremation. Some Christians are against it. It's like, it's not a hard thing for God to put the pieces back together. No matter how we perish, you could be swimming in the ocean and a, a shark uh, thinks that you're a seal and they eat you. Um, and God's not, not there going, oh, look, this is a mess. How am I going to? He, he knows, folks. He's just, trust me, you know. I told my wife, if, if I pass away, spend as little as possible. Don't let them get me a beautiful casket with, you know. I said, just spend, don't waste your money because I'm not there. I'm going to be with him. I don't really care what they do to my body. So I'm a cheapskate. And even in death, I'm a cheapskate. Uh, first, the first resurrection, the saints, right? And what is a saint? A person who's trusted in Christ for their Lord and Savior. Not somebody who's canonized uh, 30, 40 years after their death by a, a religious body. The, the Apostle Paul wrote to saints in the churches. Those people were alive. Okay? Agias, agiasmas. Okay, so we get our new spiritual bodies. Uh, the first resurrection comes. We're redeemed. We don't look like this anymore, thankfully. I've had like 20 surgeries. I'm, I'm, I got pieces in me, pieces removed. 1 Corinthians 15 speaks about the glory of the, of the terrestrial body, which we have. And this is all those 20 surgeries. Every time they cut me open, it went back together. It healed. 
that's the human body is an amazing piece of machinery. It's incredible. So first Corinthians talks about 15, the glory of the terrestrial of the earth, but it also talks about the glory of the celestial. Remember, if we're going to live into eternity, these bodies aren't going to do it. So he changes us so that, you know, body, spirit, mind is all together and it can traverse and navigate all of eternity. Um, you know, with the new heaven and new earth, I don't know what the conditions are going to be like, but that's really cool. The resurrection, uh, okay, so let me just read one more scripture, uh, companion scripture, John 5, 25 through 29. And Jesus is, you know, sometimes people read the Bible and, and you can read something Jesus says and go, wow, that was really hard to understand and just kind of gloss over it. What is Jesus talking about here? And again, I'm trying to win those people who are nominally believers and have never seen this and don't know whether they should believe this or not. But I'll just read your Jesus, Jesus's words. And you got to ask, what is he talking about? He says, verse 25, most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. So the first resurrection happens in three parts. I'm going to cover that next Sunday. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. Jesus fulfills a lot of roles. Do not marvel at this for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. He's speaking about himself in the third person. And come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Uh, Daniel 12, 2, Old Testament says the same thing. You know, I have a lot of Jewish friends and, and they're, they're interested, they're curious. And they're like, but what about that doctrine? I'm like, here, let's go back to the Old Testament. Daniel says the same exact thing, um, Daniel 12, 2, that the time will come that there will be the resurrection, those to everlasting condemnation. And those two, you know, everlasting life and they'll be the sheep and the goats will be separated. So it's all throughout the Old and New Testament. Okay. Second, this is, this is, I, I just, this is fun stuff. Second resurrection hasn't come yet. We're going to cover that next Sunday. This is the second resurrection goes to the second death. Um, some people think Christianity is a fairy tale. It's absolutely not. It's very intricate and intertwined. Uh, so those go to that judgment with the great white throne and that happens after the thousand years are completed as it says in the scripture because it says the the rest of the dead they get resurrected they have to stand before the great white throne judgment uh and this after the millennium is over and verse six again small snippets what does this mean um he says we or the saints in the glorified bodies will be the priests of god so the priest to, to help the first person believer understand, everybody understood that when God had designed priests, which uh, ended with Jesus, that the priests were mediators between God and the people. They were supposed to live a certain lifestyle. They were supposed to, they weren't even uh, supposed to be landowners. Um, God wanted them pure to, to effectively minister to his people. And they were a precursor to Jesus, who was the ultimate priest, right? Jesus was the priest. He offered the sacrifice, but he also was the sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So what are, we, are we going back to the priesthoods? No. What it means is that, that there's going to be an interesting time on the planet where their people will have survived the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation, all the revelation judgments. They'll be the saints who have their redeemed body. So... Um, it will be sort of our job, or it's actually um, a blessing, 
that we will still try to minister to those that haven't fully given themselves to the Lord, even though he is ruling from Jerusalem. Remember, forced love is not love at all. God never forces us to love. He tries to convince us. He tries to show us. He tries to communicate with us. But at the end of the day, everyone has the choice to accept him or reject him. That's true love. You, you woo, you, you desire, you try to draw someone to yourself, but they either can respond to that, those love cords, or they can just walk away. So this is an interesting time where, you know, even though we evangelize now as believers, there'll be an opportunity during the millennial kingdom as well to evangelize to people who have come out of this time who haven't completely given themselves to God. So it's so amazing. People say, well, in the tribulation, I don't know why people say this. Nobody gets saved. No, people do get saved. The Bible's clear. Even in the millennial kingdom, people get saved. That's God. All the way to the end, to the end of our lives, to the end of creation, he still wants people to come to him, and he still draws them. That's how much God loves us. Okay. Verse 6. I'll just leave it at this. He says, in the wrong chapter here, Blessed and holy. Blessed, that's an encouragement. God blesses us. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Remember, the first resurrection is of the redeemed. Over such the second death, and we'll get to that, has no power. Wow. 1 Corinthians 15 says that too. Death. Hades. Death has no more sting. It has no more power. But they shall be priests of God in Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So this is where I want to leave it. Um is that this is going to be a great time. And I want to encourage every week, um, somebody in here is going to tell me when, when service is over about something she experienced, a sad situation with, with a kid, uh, and I'm just seeing it, our staff is seeing it every week. You know, as much as our leaders are telling us how things are going to be great and they're going to fix this and fix that, communities are suffering. And local churches minister to communities. So we see on a regular basis, we even hear things from people in the congregation who have loved ones who are either overseas or in another state. So, you know, we're always in prayer for these people. You know, the kids and the, the, the suffering of kids who this experiment, I, I get it. I understand the balance, but there has to be a balance of uh, our youth who have uh, committed suicide, who have suicidal ideations because they need to be socialized. You know, they're going stir crazy at home. Um, some kids in, in inner cities, are, they don't have the equipment and they're completely failing out and that's making them more despondent. So our leaders without God don't have the answers and they can say whatever they want from the governor's mansion or from, you know, Capitol Hill, but communities are suffering. So I just want to encourage you with this is that, and some people say, if they don't know God, they're like, well, when is this going to end? Well, when are we finally going to get somebody in office? Well, when is somebody going to represent us that really cares? His name is Jesus Christ. And that's coming. And I can't wait for that. So we put on, we actually, we don't put on, we have a good attitude here in your leadership because man, we're in the middle of studying this. This is exciting. We don't know. It could be in 10 years, it could be 50 years. We don't know. We don't set dates. God hasn't tipped us off. But this is exciting for those Christians today who are struggling. And even if you're not struggling personally, that your heart, your empathy for somebody you know that's struggling, this gives us the hope to continue doing what we do. And the Bible talks about that, not to stop doing good. 
because one day we will reap the reward. We don't know when that day is, but it's coming. That I know. And those that have gone before us that we miss, we'll see again. And that's going to be a glorious day. And none of this stuff is going to matter anymore. So if you don't know Christ and you want this, you can give your heart to him today. I just want to encourage you with that. There's no class system. And every second of every day, people come to the Lord, hundreds, thousands, it doesn't matter. He, his kingdom is a big place. He has room for everybody. I love that about him. So I want to encourage you is that, yeah, this millennial kingdom is going to be cool. I'm an animal lover. I can't wait to pet these ferocious beings and know that I'm not going to get bit. <laughs> yeah. Canines, felines, big canines, big felines. I love them. Um, no death, no cancer, no disease, no pain, no depression, no feeling of powerlessness, no looking on the news and getting depressed. You know, could you imagine Jesus's oval office? Everything's great today. I stopped the wars. I deposed those horrible dictators. Hey, there's no more poverty. Hey, you know, there's no more cancer. That's going to be a great, I can't watch, I can't wait to see those press briefings. So listen, folks, um, you either believe all of what he says or you believe none of it. But I choose to believe all of what he says because it's all intertwined. They're inextricably linked. You cannot extricate one piece that you like out of the scripture and say, well, I don't I've ever heard this. I'm, I'm a little concerned about that. You know, they're inextricably linked. All God's word goes together. And when we understand it, it gives us that hope and that reassurance that no matter how bad things, how things, how bad things get, um, that he's coming soon. And we just have to hold on, trust him and exude that hope and that encouragement to other people that we know that don't have hope. And one of these days they're going to say, why are you like that? (laughs) What is wrong with you? What are you taking? (laughs) Nothing. It's the Lord. And you can have that too. Trust me. And you have that conversation. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you. Let's have